Welcome to Radioactive Magazine. We will be talking with Carrie O'Rourke, who received her PhD in education from UMKC just last month. She has been actively involved in various ministries in Kansas City for more than four decades with a focus on advocacy and service to those who are resource poor. She was born in Kansas City, Missouri, and served in the U.S. Navy for five years between 1978 and 1983. The year after she got out of the Navy, she took a vow of nonviolence as a Catholic worker. She is a former member of the Holy Family House community in Kansas City, Missouri. She is also now a member of Grace and Holy Trinity Cathedral in the Episcopal Diocese of Western Missouri, where she serves as the chairperson for their Interfaith and Ecumenical Committee. And she is also a member of the advisory board of Advocates of Silos Turkey. Carrie, please correct any errors in that and add anything else you'd like. The Interfaith and Ecumenical Committee is a very important aspect of what we do. We have to reach out to get to know one another and bridge. We have to get to understand one another and come together, connecting and finding out how much we have in common, finding common ground. Talk about your dissertation topic. My dissertation topic flowed out of this interfaith ecumenical experience. I came to know the, the Turkic community in Kansas City, which is thriving in the dialogue through the Dialogue Institute. And um, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Many of the, the people who are here are refugees or who are people who cannot go back to Turkey because of their religious and political beliefs. Um, if they went back, they'd be imprisoned and most likely tortured. Um, and I came to know them and it sparked a big interest uh, for me because many of them are educators and they're doing tremendously great work. Um, and I started teaching an ELL class online. I got invited to do that as a volunteer. ELL? English language learner. Okay. Um, for the Turkish community. And I came to know a number of of Turkish people through that avenue and came to know their story. And so many of them were educators. And I can't imagine educators and students being tortured for their faith, but it's happening. And, um, you know, it, it just sparked my interest. And that's where led me down this this trail, which, which sparked my dissertation, which is an oral history. Uh, and it's really a recording of of voices of people who have experienced this genocide that's occurring in Turkey that not many people here know about, especially not in the, in, you know, in the Midwest. We don't hear a lot about what's happening in Turkey as far as this genocide. And certainly uh, the government of Turkey controls the media, so we certainly wouldn't hear it portrayed as a genocide at all. Um, in fact, the Hizmet people are, are portrayed as terrorists. And we tend to brand anybody who uh, disagrees with us politically as terrorists now. It's kind of become a catch-all phrase for anybody who, who disagrees with us or disagrees with any political leader. If they disagree with the political regime, well, they must be a terrorist. My study in the School of Education at UMKC, uh, seeking ways to find how to reach underserved populations, underserved groups, and the Hizmet people do it very well uh, all around the world. That's interesting. So, so um, the his 
has met people. I think you, you talked in your dissertation, and I've looked the talked about um, followers of Fatula Gulen. Uh, how do you pronounce that guy's name? Fatula Gulen. He is um, he's an imam. He's a scholar, and um, he lives in Pennsylvania in exile. He's been in exile since the late 1990s in the United States from Turkey. Um, he became an imam in 1958 and has written numerous books and, and, but he, he became well known through his preaching and he has millions of followers worldwide now. And his message is very much a message of peace. He's a very, um, he would be considered very liberal in his Islam. He's very oriented towards Sufism or Sufi. Uh, that's his his background. He was raised in a, a very traditional uh, Islamic family and uh, educated very well. And his message is that of peace and his message is that of service and working together to build a better world. You know, he's not just trying to build a better community. He teaches building a better world and especially through uh, education and, and working together. Um, so that's where I feel like his ethos um, and the Christian ethos of working together to serve one another align very closely. And, and that's very interesting to me because we tend to think that Islam is not uh, very closely aligned with Christianity when in fact it is. Um, and we just need to keep opening those doors and dispelling a lot of that misinformation that I think we've been fed uh, through our own propaganda here in the United States, especially. So um, followers, the Hismat followers of um, Fatalo Gulen were, uh, from what I read, uh, supportive of um, Erdogan, the current president of, am I right, um, of Turkey, uh, well, initially, right? They were supportive of a democratic Turkey. And Erdogan originally, you know, Profess that he was supportive of a democratic Turkey, the AKP, the the party, the you know their their democratic party, um, was originally professing that they were supportive of a democratic party, and uh, the the, the Gulenists or followers of Fethullah Gulen, Gulen um, were lawyers and judges and civil servants and soldiers and so on, and they believed very strongly in the rule of law. Turkey's only been a country for almost just almost exactly 100 years 1923 the republic of turkey was formed after world war 1 and so you know they they've worked really hard to build a country that was a secular country uh committed to a rule of law and a constitution and so you know when the akp party came into power they really believed strongly in in the rule of law and the constitution and they worked hard to uh, build fairness and equity and justice into that rule of law. And that aligned closely with what Fethullah Gulen believed. And when Erdogan came in, he professed um, uh, an ethos of less secularism and more uh, Islamic um, kind of principles. Um, they, they believe in a liberal Islam, but kind of you know, let's focus on character, character building and moral character, that kind of thing. And, and that aligns closely with, uh, the, with the Gulen belief. Um, so it was 
compatible. It wasn't that they supported one another. It was just, it was compatible. And as uh, Erdogan rose in power, um, the people who, you know, who were followers of Gulen, who were in judicial appointments and who were in civil uh, political positions, those those people who subscribe, you know, it would be like the equivalent of Episcopalians uh, who were in positions of, uh, who were lawyers and who were in, you know, judicial appointments. Those people said, let's call to fairness. Let's call to equity. Let's call, you know, we're calling you to justice. Let's call to build a better society that's fair and that's equitable and where the poor have a chance, where the disadvantaged have a chance. And the more they called for that, the more they separated from what Erdogan wanted. Um, you know, he wanted complete authority and they wanted democratic rule. And it, it became separate and separate and separate. And then corruption, you know, power does eventually corrupt. And, um, it, it you know, power, it just sometimes it just leads people astray. And so things started to separate um, as, as, as time went by. And the more, and it really kind of especially focused on the Kurdish movement, um, the Kurdish people, the Kurdish people are a nomadic people and they, they occupy, uh, the most of the Kurds live in southeastern central uh, Turkey, but they also occupy Syria, Iraq, and Iran, and they are an ethnic minority uh, that are unique, the distinct culture and distinct language. Um, and they are, I would say they are treated equivalent to what African-Americans maybe were treated around the turn of the century in 1900. They are really treated pretty poorly. They're not treated fairly. They're not treated, you know, equitably. And the, the Gulenists, the, the, the Hizmet people were calling for fairness and justice for the Kurdish people. And uh, racism, that form of racism in Turkey raised its ugly head, and it still does today. Um, and it's unfortunate because the Kurdish people have suffered greatly. They suffered a ge genocide in Iraq. You know, in one day, uh, Saddam Hussein wiped out 5,000 people with sarin gas. Um, you might recall that in history. Um, and, and it's all the same people. They just you know, the borders were established after World War One, World War II, these national borders, they didn't take into account that the Kurdish people existed, you know, and, and had existed for probably 3,000 years or more. Um, and so they were left out of, of having space of their own to occupy. Um, and so what's happened to the Kurds has been really awful. And um, the, the Hizmet people called for equity and justice. Just as many voices in America, maybe similar to Black Lives Matter, you know, just as many voices in America have spoken up and called for fairness and justice uh, for the African American people and for the the you know indigenous Americans, uh, who, you know, the the just as our voices have raised up and said uh, the colonizers committed genocide, um, and and then there's pushback against that, and we know that that hap that pushback happens. Um, and it happens everywhere. Well, it's happening in Turkey, too. And that caused a pretty good rift, a pretty good separation in Turkey. Um, and then things led to another. And there, there was a, a, a really there are several watershed moments. I call them watershed moments. One of those moments was that an Academics for Peace petition where um, 
over a thousand academics signed a petition to say the Kurdish people need to be treated fairly, especially in education. They need to have equal access to education. And um, those people were all dismissed from their positions in universities, tenured positions in universities. And most of them were arrested and detained. Uh, many of them were tortured um, as a result, just for signing the petition. We have academic freedom here in the United States. We take that for granted. It's not so in other countries, and it's especially not so in Turkey. And and um, even today, even today, that's that's being questioned with uh, with the challenges of with uh, um, university professors being forced to resign over over questions of of whether students are allowed to question the policies of Israel. <laughs> exactly, I know. All you have to do is look at the result of what happened. Like if you look at the result of what happened in Turkey, you can see what's coming down the tracks toward us if we let this censorship go forward in the United States. We have to use our democratic voice to say, hey, we can see what the result will be. And it's not a good thing. You know, we, we can't, we, <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, you know, the, the academic freedom is a really important thing. You're also talking about social genocide versus. Well, the, the social aspect of the genocide in Turkey is this. First of all, we if we kill them, they're dead. They, they're gone. Right. The person is gone. They don't exist anymore. And so right. theoretically, they don't they, they don't cause any more trouble for us. Right. However, if they don't die, what's the social aspect? Well, we imprison them and we keep them there for as long as we can. Some people have been in prison for more than seven years. Um, we torture them. We seize all of their assets. We take away their money, their house, their ability to earn money. And, and so, for example, we just take away their ability to live. So they don't necessarily die, but they don't have the ability to live. How are they supposed to live if they can't earn money and they can't feed themselves? In Turkey, all in one day or one week, they closed 15 universities and over a thousand schools, high schools and um, in, in grade school, elementary schools. And they were all his med schools and they closed those schools. 60,000 students lost all of their records right then. It happened in Turkey. They closed 15 schools, 15 universities and all of those. And hundreds of high schools. Hundreds of high schools and elementary schools, thousands. It was thousands. It was over a thousand. All of those university students lost all of their records right that day. So if you were and I, there's an interview with one of the students there. She was a junior getting ready to start her senior year and her records were all erased. They were gone. And she fled. She had been she was in Pakistan visiting her parents at the time because it was summer break. And she fled to the United States and tried to. Uh, enroll in a university in the United States to finish her degree. And no one would accept her because she didn't have uh, official transcripts. They're, they didn't exist. However, she had kept very careful records and she was able to make a case at a smaller college and she finished her bachelor's degree and she went on to get her master's degree and is now a functioning uh, counselor and uh, and she's doing counseling for people who uh, uh, refugees who've experienced trauma in the process. 
what if she hadn't been able to somehow make her case? The world wouldn't have that that service. You know what I mean? That world wouldn't have that brain. Sixty thousand students lost that right then. Boom, gone. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense what's happening. So, so talk about you've you're saying that that uh, uh, Gulen. Um, uh, Compare his brand of Islam with the uh, with what the Salafist um, uh, movement that's uh, that's supported by Saudi Arabia. Oh, it's quite different. It's quite different. I'm not familiar with everything that's happening in, in the, the Salafist movement in Saudi Arabia, but I will tell you this: um, all of the women I have met who are uh, who are his met. Oh, nearly all of them have at least a master's degree. Most of them have PhDs and are teaching. <laughs> they all are well-educated. They all are well-spoken. And they all are, um, you know, all are very functioning members. They are not silenced. Uh, they do wear the hijab, uh, but they do not wear a burqa. And here's the other thing. I'm an out lesbian. I They have never once batted an eye. They've never once asked. My, my spouse and I... Uh, go to dinners with them. We get, we've traveled with them. We do, you know, we're invited to their homes all the time. They've never once batted an eye. They've never once said a negative word uh, to us or questioned or even acted like it was a thing, you know, um, that would never happen in Saudi Arabia. We are talking with Carrie O'Rourke about her PhD dissertation and talking about the cultural genocide of the Hizmet people in, in, in Turkey. And um, so, Gulen. So, what I've read someplace that Gulen was, uh, or Gulen, Gulen, mm -hmm. yeah, that like Gulen, Gulen, um, has been uh, is maybe a pacifist or promoting nonviolence or what's what? Oh, what can you tell absolutely, me? absolutely. What can you tell me about that? He absolutely is. Uh, uh, I don't know if he'd call himself a pacifist. I think he would call himself an activist. Toward okay. peace. And, 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 and nonviolence. Absolutely. Absolutely a nonviolent. In, in any case, it'd be hard. He's been accused of being, of, of running an armed terrorist group uh, in Turkey. Uh, I gather that that that's got to be uh, uh, there's no evidence that at least you're not aware of any evidence that, that would support that no no and if there was if there ever was somebody who said that they were a hizmet person and they possessed any kind of weapon or something that would be a complete anomaly that would not be consistent with anything i know about and not just from not just from him the people who are hizmet that i have come to know personally they are peacekeepers uh, and they are peace seekers and they are actively seeking peace. The word jihad, by the way, means struggle, right? Right. right. And, and so for them, Islamic jihad means inner struggle with oneself and one's own faith, right? So continuous improvement, right? The struggle for continuous improvement. Okay. And that is, you know, and, and that's, that's a Christian value too. But yes. You know, we continually pray uh, for insight, 
and and to continually struggle to become a better person and that is exactly the same right so your your doctorate is in education so talk about talk more about educational practices that that they that they follow they um it's very i i grew up roman catholic and i roman catholic educated all the way through undergraduate school um and have a lot of roman catholic background they very much seem to me like the franciscans in um to me i, I and the benedictines they're um strong on character education they're strong on um, firm curriculum, science, math, reading, literacy. Um, for them, teaching is a vocation, not just a job. They go to underserved areas. At one point, they were in over 170 countries around the world. Mm -hmm. Cambodia, Kenya, Laos, Thailand, who's, uh, lots of the former USSR countries, Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, um, uh, uh, Egypt, Nigeria, a number of schools in Nigeria. They're all over. Um, uh, have, Indonesia. Have, yeah. They, I, I, have, they, have, they, have they been frozen out of some of those countries because of pressure from Turkey? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Erdogan had reach in in a number of those countries and could send his his secret service in to kidnap people and did. And again, that's in part of my dissertation. He sent people into Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan, Pakistan and kidnapped people. And they and disappeared these people for periods of time and tortured them and tortured them awfully bad. I mean, oh, my goodness. What he did to people, what those people did was cruel, <laughs> and and it's documented um, the torture that he did. It, just unbelievable. Um, Tragic, tra tragically, it's not unbelievable. President Trump is uh, Trump is president, and and on the campaign trail has talked about uh, he he supports torture, he whatever. Uh, and I'm told something I read said that the the uh, bombing of the nineteen the nineteen ninety eight bombing of U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania was motivated by U.S. support for uh, an extraordinary rendition from Eastern Europe to Egypt, so someone could be tortured. Right. Uh, I want to so know the people who do the torture. How do they live with themselves? You know what I mean? Like, like one of the one of the tortures. Well, I can't even describe it. I don't think it's allowed on this. It's bad. Um, how do you live with yourself after you do that? Do you do that to another human? Garibay Geezer was a Kurdish woman. And she was an activist. She's one of the people in the unmuted exhibit that's traveling around the country now. We had it in Kansas City for three different uh, evenings. Um, in in uh, September of 2022, I, I got the thing here. Uh, Garibay Geezer. She's a woman who was in prison. She was an activist and they have it on CCTV. Now, how come they didn't destroy the CCTV footage? They raped her repeatedly. 
and they raped her with their own bodies, their own, these men did, but they also, you know, used other objects to sexually abuse her. They beat her. They kicked her for days and days and days. Mm-hmm. And then they accused her of committing suicide when she died. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And and they had her in a room with absolutely nothing in it. How did she commit suicide? Talk to us a bit more about Advocates of Silence Turkey. Advocates of Silence Turkey is a really tough organization. I mean, they get up there every day. They are doing something to, to be heard, to not let these voices go silent. The unmuted exhibit is an exhibit of artifacts that families have sent in of people who have died or people who are still in prison and being tortured. And it's little things like it's somebody's broken glasses that, you know, the family got, or it's somebody's clothing item or something, some memorabilia that the family has, has uh, snuck out, you know, they've, they've snuck it out of the country and it's here and it's kept in New Jersey. And then we pack it up and we're, we transport it around. It was just in Minneapolis last weekend. I went up to Minneapolis and talked. It's going to be in St. Louis uh, next weekend. It's, it's traveling around the country. How do people, if they're interested in supporting the Advocates of Silence Turkey, how do they find out more about that? Google it. It's on the website. There's a there's a website. You can find out. There's It's housed in New Jersey. Also, if you're in Kansas City, Dialogue Institute, uh, it's at 635 in Shawnee Drive. They have a lot of events. Come and meet people. They have uh, Turkish food festivals. They have uh, speakers, different speakers come. Um, They have breakfast sometimes. Um, You can come in to their events. And then, uh, you know, during Ramadan, we have iftars all over the community. We have breaking of the fast, iftar, breaking of the fast, all over the community at various churches and stuff. You come to one of those, you meet people, you get to know a little bit about them and you get to hear about their stories. Uh, Ramadan uh, is a mysterious thing to most people. If you're not, if you're not Muslim, Ramadan is very mysterious. So coming to an iftar is really cool because you get to kind of just dabble your foot in it and find out what it's all about. Right. And so when we host these iftars all around the community, um, and it, they'll be posted on the on the uh, on the Dialogue Institute site, all the dates and times and places. Um, you just get to find out a little bit about it, and you get to and it's a it's a easy, uh, non threatening way to learn more about something you may or may not know anything about. You know, it's it's kind of a cool event. I love it, and they always have baklava and tea. And it's delicious. And the food is wonderful. We have been visiting with Carrie O'Rourke about her recently completed doctoral dissertation on the social genocide of the Hizmet people in Turkey in progress as we speak. Links to her dissertation and to the websites for Advocates of Silence Turkey and the Dialogue Institute of Kansas City are available in the description of this episode of Radioactive Magazine. Go to kkfi.org, then select News and Public Affairs, then Radioactive Magazine, then this episode. Tune in next week to hear attorneys with the American Civil Liberties Union of Kansas discuss the issues that they find most pressing at the moment.
I'm Spencer Graves. Thanks for listening.